Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mundia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. All right, Bat fans, welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode 101.5. This is actually the second part of our episode 101. The episode was so long that we actually broke it up into two parts. So without further ado, we're just going to jump right into our comic book reviews, and we'll throw it back over to the original recording. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's move into our next title, Birds of Prey, number zero. You're not going in that house, Huntress. That, I promise. I'm here on league business, Canary. That's not what Jean said. We just called him. Okay, that didn't work. Maybe this will. Birds of Prey number zero, first flight. Writer Dwayne Sprzynski, Pensler Romano Molinar, Inker Vicente Sefuentes, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. Gotham Bay, one year ago. Dinah is in the Iceberg Lounge fighting some punk rockers while she contemplates leaving it all behind, along with the memory of her late husband, or wondering if it is still possible to do good in the world. Before this, we learn the reasons that bring Dinah to the Iceberg Lounge. It seems there is a basilisk cell, hello Harry Potter, who is desperate to obtain the components of some kind of scary bomb. Exact details unknown. Her plan is to obtain the information on the inside, so she decides to make notice of Penguin. Ooh, Penguin, we haven't seen him before. Penguin is taking a luxurious bath. And she makes her entrance and offers her services as personal security. She proves that she is special by showing off her canary cry, but apparently that is not enough for Penguin. She proves herself against his squad of punk rockers, thus proving that she is needed on his force. Looks like Black Canary is the newest member of the squad. Dinah soon meets the acquaintance, or makes the acquaintance, of Starling, a.k.a. Ev, but never Evelyn. Even though Dinah can't trust anyone, she can't help but like Ev. Weeks later, the meeting is encroaching. She plans on trapping the seller, recover the tech, and then use it to ensnare the buyer. She catches sight of the seller with an odd bulge in his pocket. Somehow, we have x-ray vision and see it has chemicals and tubes. Can't explain that one. But before she can do anything, Batgirl breaks through the ceiling. The punk rockers attack, and Batgirl takes them easily and also disarms Starling. Dinah warns her that this will be the stupidest move she ever made and underestimates Batgirl as they fight and she gives as good as she gets. Penguin orders Canary to take out Batgirl, but Dinah decides she needs to get Batgirl alone and throws her out of the lounge. Batgirl continues to fight until Dinah tells her that she is undercover and trying to take out the bad guys just like Batgirl. Just then, Dinah catches sight of the buyer for the basilisk. Running away on a boat, she doesn't know if the deal has already gone down, but Batgirl does inform her that the tech was a mutation bomb. Dinah uses her canary cry to destroy the boat and send the buyer flying. Then canary drags him out of the water. Dinah then enters the lounge only to see Starling with a gun to Batgirl's head. Guess some things don't change. And Penguin, or- uh, and Penguin ordering her to shoot. Dinah tries to talk Starling down, but Batgirl disarms her, saying that she just needed to make sure the two of them were playing for the right team. These words resonate with Dinah. Later, Dinah considers these words and how much she misses being on a team and having a family to work slash fight with. Most of all, she just wants to trust someone again. 
Six hours later, Ev is at a bar, shocker, talking to someone on the phone. She says that she didn't see the point in staying with Penguin anymore, but the person says there are now other factors to think about. We then see Amanda Waller at the end of the other line with Kurt Lance, Dinah's not-so-dead husband, in a tube. She tells Ev to continue her friendship with Dinah, and she will be notified when it's time to make a move. Next up, Soul Survivors. I'm a survivor. I'm good. Oh. <laughs> Plus, oh, God. Hey, man, verse so print number zero. Let me talk to you about this. Now, how well does this work as an origin? See, I've got these dumpy questions. Now, does this grab you? Does it make you want to continue reading about this particular team, uh, putting it in the framework of if you are a new reader or since we have been reading for a year? Um, what do you think? Does it grab? I think it does actually. Um, and we've been watching sort of this dissolution of the team for so, like five issues now, and and it was great to see Origin. I really like how Dinah. It's following Dinah mainly um, because sort of the other incarnations of Birds of Prey. It's really been behind Oracle and Oracle with her uh, miscellaneous cast and how how she found them and everything. And it was just great to see Dinah and then how did she make the acquaintance of Batgirl? How did she make the acquaintance of Ev? Okay, well, here's here's my thing. I personally didn't think that uh, we got what we should have gotten out of this issue because so we didn't learn anything more about Dinah's husband who she supposedly murdered, who they've been hinting at for over a year, but... Now he could be in a, uh, some kind of sort of status chamber um, that Amanda Waller has control over. And, oh, by the way, Starling is working for Amanda Waller. So, again, we, we create a gazillion more questions about the series, but we don't get a lot of answers. As far as an origin story, and if you just, you know, just look at it as an origin story, yeah, it's kind of cool seeing the three of them meet for the first time, but there's one small problem. They specifically say this happened one year ago. And yes, this is one of those timeline things that I'm keeping track of. This event where the birds meet for the first time one year ago. The issue is, okay, so Batgirl hasn't been around for just (laughs) one year before this. She was around for a much longer period of time. Black Canary specifically states, oh, this is that chick that uh, I've heard rumors about, but I've never seen her before. I don't even know anything really about her. Oh, let me fight her because I'm going to see how good she is of a fighter. Oh, she's actually pretty good of a fighter. Um, the only issue is in Batgirl, we, we know that she's been, she was Batgirl over four years ago. So, we also know that she's a terrible fighter. Yeah, and we, we know from past <laughs> issues of Birds of Prey that Dinah has no problem beating her. So how is it that before they even met each other for the first time, Dinah has, you know, is taking some some uh, hits from her that she wouldn't have been able to do in the future. So is this supposed to take place, like, like before... I mean, obviously it's supposed to be before issue uh, one of Birds of Prey, but, like, is issue one of Birds of Prey right after this? I assume issue one of Birds of Prey is probably sometime shortly thereafter this. The issue is they also didn't explain why Black Canary and Batgirl have that, you know, fallout in the beginning of Birds of Prey. They didn't explain that either. So, I mean, like, all these questions that we've been given since the series started, none of them were really answered. So we know how they've all met each other for the first time. Well, that's great, but that wasn't a question that we really were asking ourselves when we when we picked up and read the first 12 issues of Birds of Prey. So, I mean, that's my problem with this. It's like, 
again, Birds of Prey, which has been creating all of these questions, but nothing's getting answered. And yes, okay, fine, you can play the game as this is, you know, one of those long-run games where you'll eventually get something. But the thing is, those never turn out well. Look at Tony Daniel. He was on Batman Book for over three and a half years, and what do we have when he's all said and done? A crap load of questions that he never answered and very few answers. So, I mean, like, I'm really, like, I was really disappointed by this issue. I mean, and, and honestly, if you just read it as this is the meeting between the, the, the Birds of Prey, yeah, okay, fine. It was It was good for that, but the reality is, We've read 12 issues before this, so this isn't a this isn't a good issue for somebody who's been reading 12 issues and is looking towards some answers of questions that have been presented in the last 12 issues. I don't think this. Oh, well, still, I want to hear your response. Oh well, I don't think this was the place for that, though. I mean, I I, I understand that we're looking for. I mean, I I'm certainly frustrated with that that we've talked about this, but I don't think this was going to be the place for us to learn about Kurt Lance. And I feel like if we are going to learn about, if it doesn't happen in Birds of Prey, it's going to happen in Team 7 because all that happened way in the past um, before the birds even got together. So I don't think this was ever going to be the place to sort of set up and answer those sorts of questions. Right. So, yeah, I think that... Um, I was saying, well, like I said, this is like meant to be not only the origins, but it's, it's way before the New 52 and what happened. So if any think was the place i would have thought this was definitely the place instead of having it in flashbacks you'd have a whole issue to you know say it's it's not just about that situation it's why she's in the situation she's in now it all leads into what's happening in the current issues i mean my big thing is it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically about her husband but like okay so birds of prey number one started off as they're they're running from the law they're outlaws okay so why are the outlaws we don't know that why you know birds in the beginning issues of birds of prey Batgirl and black canary have a problem because because black canary is supposedly an outlaw why why is she supposedly an outlaw if this is taking place after the whole thing with her husband where she supposedly murdered her husband why isn't that addressed at all why is starling running and she's supposedly an outlaw too if she has nothing to do with if she this is the first time she's ever met black canary I mean, there's just too many questions that I feel as they've been not addressed for such a long period of time. And then we get this zero issue where we're supposed to get some sort of origin story. Okay, fine. It's it's not necessarily going to answer everything. I understand that. But the thing is, this is answering this. This didn't answer any questions at all related to anything that has been presented before this. So the, all they did was they answered a question that nobody asked in the first place, which was, oh, by the way, how did the birds of prey meet? Yeah, honestly though, I really do think that like this wasn't the place for answering like like the questions the past year have been asking. I think that like in terms of a zero issue, which sort of tell like a type of origin story, the first meeting of Black Canary and Batgirl is more fair game. Uh, I I can understand your frustration because I think it's like with every issue we we want to know more than they're not telling us. But here, I thought it was sufficient and I, I to answer the original question that still presented, I actually thought this was sufficient enough of a story to kind of, you know, tell how this kind of thing started, because it did start with Black Canary and, and, and Barbara Gordon. I actually think that, like, the idea, this is the one and only time that I think the Penguins would use well here, because I think the idea of Black Canary, Black, like, you know, the bird theme, being an undercover bouncy for the Penguin to kind of, you know, to kind of, you know, fight crime is a really good idea. And I think that, like, her running into Batgirl and that being an, a, an origin of the Birds of Prey, I think is actually very ingenious. And them kind of like you know being across you know and Batgirl and her not 
getting along at first. I think that actually worked rather well. I agree that like there are still un unanswered questions, but here I thought that wasn't really the main concern of this issue. I thought by and large it, it kind of succeeded. And I think, you know, this was set up um, when we first learned about Kurt Lance and his death. Uh, I guess it was the penultimate issue of the uh, choke storyline because when Ev was in, um, I think it was New Mexico, or no, it was North, North Dakota, and she was in the basement, and then the guy, like, that's where she found out about Kurt Lance, and then the guy also had dropped about, you know, her past relationship with Penguin. So, I mean, there were ties to this, at least, but I, I do understand um, what Dustin is saying there. Let's see. Uh, discuss, well, I guess we'll skip. I, I did wonder, you know, if you had read any of the, you know, Birds of Prey, how you thought that this sort of matched up and it's well it's very different right so we'll just get that now the shocker ending with dinah's husband uh being alive ev working with amanda waller i do want has the team been doomed all along because as i said at the beginning you know we've been seeing it dissolve really from like issue five onward it's just worse and worse now you know you throw poison ivy in her sort of diabolical scheme and everything so ha have they been doomed all along and what sorts of things do you think the birds have in store for them in the coming issues especially if amanda waller comes to play and for those of you who who haven't read team seven number zero i'm just going to say that amanda waller is on that team with dinah and with kurt she's not a leader of it but um, so there's some sort of connection with that there. So was it doomed all along? And what do you foresee, um, you know, events coming and happening to the birds from here on out? Seems it may have been doomed all along because, like, this team, it's a lot like Batgirl where the heroes suck profusely. But, like, it, the, the, the story makes it a point that they suck rather than, you know, mistaking you to root for them. And I think that, like, the storylines, almost like the main theme of Birds of Prey is that these people actually don't really work that well together, even though they're trying. And it's almost like Black Canary trying to hold it together with these groups of individuals. So, to kind of have it where they're all lying to each other in one form, you know, Black Canary is undercover, Starling's working for Waller. Um, I think it's actually an interesting, an interesting theme. Um, that it, it can't possibly last, because I don't think Birds of Prey is meant to be like a bunch of heroes who don't don't work together. I think that's sort of like an interesting idea, but that can only that can only I don't think that can last another six months to a year. But if you're going to talk about you know like is, does this mean that this is what it kind of means? I think it's uh it's an you can make an argument for it. All right, Birds of Prey number zero. I'm going to give a total of uh, one and a half out of five batterings. Really? <laughs> I give it, I give it a uh, strong four, four and a half, four. I give this four out of uh, four point five out of five batterings, um, and I guess I'll just elaborate why on my own show. I'll give this three and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Birds of Prey a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Catwoman number zero. Maybe you can help me find the woman behind the cat. No, that's not you. Ah, there you are. Oh, buddy. We're good. Okay. Catwoman number zero, written by Anne Nascenti, with art by Adriana Mello. 
The issue opens a few years in the past where Selena is being shown the ropes in her new promotion in the Second Chance program in a Gotham City office. Selena is up to her old tricks, stealing an expensive pair of shoes and seeing how far the clearance on her new computer will take her before she's interrupted by a co-worker. With this, Selena has a flashback to a year earlier where she's once again being beaten up by a man in an alleyway after seemingly stealing a pearl necklace. After the man walks off, another man approaches Selena, the man who offers her a place in the Second Chance program. Back in the office, Selena's co-worker helps her to try and track down her brother, but in the process they discover that Selena Kyle isn't actually Selena Kyle. Just as this happens, the server crashes and the computer shuts down. Another flashback to long ago where Selena was just a little girl and she's forcing, forced into stealing by the owner of the orphanage that she attends. But Selena always manages to hide a little something away for herself. Back at the office again, the man who offered Selena the job has come to congratulate her on her promotion, where they head up to the roof. In the meantime, Selena has yet another flashback of a year prior, where she's on a date and she gets busted for lying about her profession. Distraught, Selena runs away to calm herself down. She decides to steal something. Seeing, scaling a building, she finds a stash of jewellery by an open window, but this is where the original flashback began. Back on the roof, the man says he knows that Selena was snooping around her file and challenges her for not being trustworthy. In a panic, the man pushes Selena off the roof where she hits the floor and is surrounded by cats. With this, and the shape she left in an awning she fell through on the way down, Selena adopts the alias of Catwoman, where she begins a quest to find her true identity. I guess the first question, uh, topic I'd like to discuss is how you think Nesenti's debut in Catwoman was and how it compared to Winnick's work, because I think tonally it was pretty similar, um, and I, there was nothing, I mean, you had a few odd, possibly slightly inappropriate jokes in there, you know, what are you doing, are you watching porn, so it kind of, I think it kind of flows quite well from one to the other. <laughs> I think that, um, I disagree. I don't think it's that, that similar tonally. I think that Nascenti is a lot less... Judd Winnick has a very, like, kind of quote-unquote contemporary style where it feels like he, he his writing kind of comes out of, like, like the the mindset of somebody, like a Hollywood writer, like like an MTV, TMZ, VH1 <laughs> kind of person that, like, with a, with a young person mindset, like, you know... Is up to date on like you know what people are are being told to be concerned with, and that's not really me saying like oh he sucks, but I gotta get that sense from him. I don't. I think Anacenti, who's a much more seasoned writer than uh, Winnick, who's been around since the '80s, uh, is telling a kind of different story. I think that like they they hit the similarities are in the fact that they see Selena Kyle as a very damaged individual. I mean here, we're kind of going back to like I think pre-crisis where she's like a straight up kleptomaniac. That can barely contain it, and like a, I think that, um, I think that totally this is this is a lot more welcome because, just just for, again for personal preference, uh, Winnick's atmosphere in Catwoman just bugged the hell out of me. I really thought it was kind of obnoxious. I saw what he was doing. And I think it was, it wasn't so much that it was flat out objectively bad. I just didn't care for it, and I think this is a little more accessible for me personally, and in, in terms of tone. I think that in the 70s, Selena Kyle, her inner voice is definitely much different than Winnix. And maybe it's because it's an origin story, but, like, she seems not only like a child, but, like, a very, 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 like, sheltered child that never went to school. 
Like, instead of, like, seeing something and saying, oh, I want this, this, this looks so good, if she goes, mine, like, her emotions are at, like, the most primal and the most simplistic, and she seems very naive, very easily manipulated, and I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure out how much of this is Nascenti and how much of this is just, like, you know, what Catwoman is nowadays, because it's, it's really hard to judge a new writer when their first issue is, is basically an origin story. Like, will she write modern-day Selena Kyle any different than that? But for the choices that Nascenti made for Selena Kyle's inner voice this issue, I didn't like it so much. My thing with this was, I, I think I would have preferred if Nocenti did something that wasn't necessarily going off of what Judd Winnick did. I mean, in, some, in some cases, a lot of this is, had nothing to do with what Judd Winnick did. Tonally, yes, it was very similar, but if you read Nocenti, Nocenti's work in Green Arrow, which some of you may have, some of you probably not, but uh, if you read her tone in Green Arrow, it's very similar to what Judd Winnick was doing on Catwoman anyway, so it's not that far of a, you know, a fetch to understand that you know there was a reason why she was probably brought onto this title. Um, ultimately, I think the, the, the biggest thing was that the story itself has very little to do with what has happened in Catwoman, but at the same point, it, it by itself is uh, an origin story where it's presenting a lot of questions and obviously story points that you know, Senti could pick up on in the future. But the issue is that none of this stuff that is addressed in the Zero issue has ever been hinted at in the past because it's two completely different writers. So that that's my only concern with what Nocenti did compared to what Judd Winnick did is the fact that what she has done is not necessarily using anything from the past or anything that Winnick has done to kind of bring it together. And I and I say that because there's things that Winnick have, you know, led on and made, you know, questions, you know, he's presented questions of oh, this is where, you know, Selena has this and she feels this way about certain people. And the thing is like Nocenti could have just done a little bit better job of making it more about some of the characteristics that Selena has already presented in the issues before this to tie in instead of just being this standalone issue that totally is the same but has nothing really to do with anything that we've seen before. Another thing I want to touch on, which I know we've done quite a lot recently, is just how do you feel about more movie references being put into comics? Because I'm right in saying that this uh, origin of being pushed off a roof and being surrounded by magical cats came around from Batman Returns. You are right, Joe. One up. Um, okay, yeah, awesome. All right, uh, I, I'm not going to get into like, my, like Batman, Batman Returns too much. It's, it's not as relevant, but, okay, um, one, to answer your question, I don't like it when DC com or comics in general just adopt movie things, because I think, a, it's very uncreative. B, is catering towards towards an audience that like you know that might watch the movies and buy the comics, which in itself isn't a bad idea. It's a good thing, but it feels it feels like a desperation move that just you know is very very lazy. Not only that, uh, even in that movie and in uh, the Highbury movie, and in <laughs> this, I think that this is an incredibly stupid origin for Catwoman because literally she's pushed off a building that literally should kill her. It's not like she's pushed off of, like, you know, a two-story awning. She's pushed off of, like, a skyscraper. Fall, you know, and, like, you know, yeah, she falls over a few, like, like uh, covers or whatever, which supposedly broke up. She's dead. And, like, you know, 
Cats like ghosts just come out of nowhere and are summoned and lick her body. <laughs> None of that makes any sense. The, you cannot... I don't care how much radioa- radiation or gamma rays was involved in this scene. This... Or wasn't. This is one of the most illogical uh, origins ever. Like, I, I mean, whether it's a movie or a comic book. So in and of itself, it's not so much that it was it was from Batman Returns. It's the fact that like they're actually going with this as like an origin for Selena Kyle in the comics. DC Comics is better than that. And it's like I I was just surprised. I mean, it's just like just the fact that this is in here. Not the fact that like, this is, affects the story, but like the fact that like this origin is in here is like. No, no, you didn't just, just oh, you're, they're doing this, okay. And the idea that, like, her ho- the hole she made in one of the awnings makes a cat symbol, and that inspires her to be Catwoman, it's like, ugh. My thing is this, I don't like the idea of them using the origins from the movies as their origins for the comics, because honestly, the movies did their own thing, and now, and instead of using the original comic origins in the first place in some cases, and now we're just reverting back to oh, we ran out of ideas of what we can do, so now we're just going to use something that's been done in the past. And if it, it, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to use an origin that was already used in the comics because then it's kind of like you're just sticking with what you know has always been known. But when you, t- when you, s- you get away from the comics and you go into movies, it's a whole different thing where it's like, oh, well, we're going to use this. I, my biggest complaint with a lot of movies nowadays is they just reuse a lot of the same ideas. You watch Hangover... You watch Hangover 2, it's the exact same movie, different location. There's no difference. Uh, it's just, there's there, there's absolutely no difference. And now they're <laughs> making a Hangover 3, which will be the exact same thing in a different location. It's just the problem is people have run out of ideas. There's no creative elements. And by using origins that were created in a movie is not, it just shows that you don't have any creativity. Now, that's not to say Nocenti doesn't have any creativity. We don't know if this was actually her idea or if this was editorial's say because we know that editorial has had a lot of things about what the way they want certain things. And honestly, if she's coming in to a book that she hasn't been done, I think editorial would have a lot more say on, a, on a, an origin issue than somebody who's just going to be writing the character for the first time. So that's that's my biggest thing is I think that she probably had – I, I want to give her the benefit of the doubt and say it was – probably more editorial, but at the same point, yes, the fall should have killed her, um, but it never actually states that the reason why she lives is because the cats lick her, or she's brought back to life because of the cats, and they never actually say any of the, oh, well, or, well okay, I take that back, they do say the one element where she says, oh, one of my nine lives have gone this way, but I mean, she says that, she said that th- she has said things like that in the comics tons and tons of times referring to the fact that she has nine lives but that just i mean i could say i have nine lives and not get licked by cats and just because i am lucky and i don't die doesn't mean i actually have nine lives it just means i have some luck i mean the thing is she fell through that awning so it it kind of stopped her 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 thing but she would have had to fall through a lot more awnings than that because that building because it had a penthouse had to have at least 13 floors um, so 13 floors down and you fall on one awning and fall through it, not just land on it, but fall through it, you'd be dead. And there's no cats out there who are going to bring you back to life by licking you. So the idea behind that is just stupid. Cats cats don't do that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a cat person, but like cats aren't like predators where they like just come to a corpse and lick up blood. That's not what cats do. I think, as far as I'm I think I agree with you, Don, in that. Like, I mean, I actually really like Batman Returns and I think the origin in that 
film and that film alone works really well. But I mean, it's stupid in the Catwoman film, and it's even more stupid in here. I just, it, I really don't think it sits well with the rest of the issue. It really kind of took me out of it for that one bit. In my paranoia, um, I actually looked up this information on a few different websites because one of my biggest fears is falling from a plane. It's a very irrational fear of mine. And I, I read on a few different websites, and of course the Internet's always right. So the, the, this is, I, I don't have any citations, this could be false, but that there are cases of people falling from great heights, and if they're slowed by something, like on the way down, like it's, you get the sense that the awning didn't stop her fall, but, like, it floated for a second before she broke through, and that, like, enabled her to survive. But there are cases of things like that happening. Um, and, and I've read that in more than one place, but I don't have any citations, though, except for saying that it's on the Internet. So the Internet could have lied to me. Batman Returns is 20 years old at this point. If they would have done this in the 90s, like, I could have said, wow, that's stupid, but I get why they're doing this. We just had a Catwoman out in a movie this summer, and they're going with the origin, like, this origin from 20, exactly 20 years ago, instead of, you know, the one that's more plausible and makes sense, and, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to do a whole, like, Nolan movies versus Burden movies type thing, but, good gosh, this would have been so much, we had a Catwoman movie this summer, and they go with the 20-year-old origin. That makes no sense. I've only got one small thing. I mean, this might end up being cut out, but I recently, just today actually, got purchased uh, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader. And when nice. good, reading good. the bit um, where Selena is looking up for her brother, which is another thing which maybe we'll quickly get to, because I'm pretty sure she doesn't have a brother, um, and they say, what's this, your real name? It looks Russian. I was wondering if that could be a reference to the Sadie Kalowski, but I don't really know what that is. I just, I noticed that in the book when I was reading it. Yeah, like like, uh, like Josh said, like, um, references to Catwoman being Russian, I think, just stem from, like, the really goofy... <laughs> uh, I mean, in the 60s show, she posed as this Russian journalist <laughs> named Katanya Arena Katanya. Something, 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 Kitka. And Adam West says, Kitka sounds sexy. So, like, um, I don't think that, like, she could be, I don't have a problem with she actually is Russian. And I, and I care, honestly, I care, this is a double standard. I, I care less if she, her real name is Selena Kyle. I mean, like, if she's Russian, that's a, that's a different language than an American name being Selena Kyle. But, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think, I think, I think Catwoman has more leeway in origins because she, her origins come from her semi as a villain. She's not been a villain for over 20 years. Let's let's not even entertain that thought. But I think that like she has, has a less less uh, less ground to hoe, whereas you know Batman psychics do because they're a lot more intertwined with Batman and they affect each other's personalities. Selina, for the most part, has kind of been on her own, and I think that like her having a brother, her possibly being Russian. Well, honestly, she had a brother pre-crisis. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it was Tony things, Gordon. The things we miss out on when Josh isn't around. Yeah, I knew about Maggie Kyle. He was one of the Catmen. Well, like, not the Catman that we know, but there was some guy, his last name was Kyle, and he was Catman, and he was Selena Kyle's brother. I guess the thing of... That almost sounds I guess up. the thing about Catwoman is she's been around since Batman number one, so... I mean, Batman hasn't had the same origin since then, so... I don't... I oh. think, going back to what Don said, you know, it and doesn't Selena really matter. Kyle's only been around since the 50s. 
Yeah, yeah, because she, she was using aliases like Elva Barr and uh, Anne Hathaway. Jeff anyway, move along. Move along. Move <laughs> along. <laughs> Sorry. The the other thing that I, I want to say about this issue that I think was was kind of interesting is the fact that they are u- using this whole the they're they're basically creating this like secret organization that somehow recruits Catwoman but then at the same time um, disappears. But there are also the same people who plant these thoughts into her head of her having this Russian name and her having a family and her trying to figure out where she's from. And it's this organization's files that they had, which miraculously disappeared just as fast as the organization itself. And to me, I'm wondering to myself, okay, so this organization finds Catwoman. She's, she's on the team. She is doing her best at doing this job. The guy flips out because she tries to find out who she is using their computers. But why did they have a file on her in the first place if they didn't want her to find it? Like, to me, that doesn't make any sense. And then the yeah. fact that the the entire organization that she was working for is a was, you know, fake or doesn't exist anymore or was created specifically for her. Like, none of that makes a lot of sense because what was the whole point of everything? Basically, she had these dreams that she could be somebody good, and because she wanted to figure out who she was, it all ended. I mean, to me, that just that didn't make a lot of sense. But the big thing was, so they the, the whole thing was they created this organization, and now we're left with, okay, so she may or may not be Russian. We're thinking she could be Russian, or we're thinking she could have a different name, or all this information, but it's all because of this organization that, you know, poof disappeared as soon as she got pushed off that building. So to me, it's almost as if the big thing is, I'm wondering if this is actually hinting to the upcoming Justice League of America. And it's kind of far-fetched, I know, but the thing is, the fact that they, that some group was testing her, and we know that she's going to be part of the Justice League of America, I'm wondering if this is some sort of, you know, she was tested a long time ago or something before she actually became Catwoman. Oh. But then at the same point, how are they going to explain pushing her off the building? Are they going to – is she suddenly going to have some kind of uh, mut- mutation uh, powers and things like that where – She's going to be like Talon. They try and kill her and say, oh, no, it's just a test. Don't worry. It's just a yeah. test. So, I mean, like, to me, I, I don't know. It just seems like they're hinting at something bigger than – Oh, she's just she just doesn't know who she is. It just seems like there's something more going on than what we actually are seeing. Yeah, I I also thought that was a bit confusing. But the reason I didn't really want to bring it up too much is because I just assumed that it would be explained further down the line. I hope so at least. This is a weird. The, the organization issue. was like weird <laughs> anyway. Like nobody stands in the middle of alleys while someone's getting beat up saying, "Hey, want to join my organization?" Yeah. Little girl that got beat up. You look like you have potential. Like, First of all, if this, if this guy was really working for the mayor's office, what is he doing in alleys, like, while this stuff is going on? Conversations don't happen like this. Just accept that Witsec was doing his job and move on. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's uh. the witness endangerment program. All right, so Catwoman number zero, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, I, I agree. Apparently, a lot of people hate this issue. Um, it wasn't that great, but it wasn't. I, I thought there'd been worse. Two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, two and a half out of five batterings. I was completely like dumbfounded with this issue and had 
like basically no it was like reading Odyssey all over again. One out of five batterings. Catalog, you gave hmm. one out of five batterings. Yeah, and you punched Dan. Okay, yeah, this was I I'd say I'll I'll give it two and a half out of five. It wasn't as logistically failing as the other issues, but um take a shot every time Selena says mine mind she was written way too much like a child in this like and an uneducated child at that and it just it, was, it wasn't was an interpretation of selena that i particularly it's not who i feel selena is after reading her character for so many years through so many incarnations and that's why i laughed before when stella said well all these strong independent women in the batman universe there is not a strong independent woman to be found in this book Oh, yeah, I agree there. And, and, and just one thing to bring up. After this whole Tim Drake thing, I'm really surprised that now we're going along with, like, Selena Kyle was also never really Selena Kyle. It's not as bad as Tim Drake was never Tim Drake because they weren't editing trade paperbacks and stuff like that. But it, it, it's just really weird that, like, we have two Batman characters who are now never known by their real names. All right, so Catwoman number zero gets a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's get into our next book, Batman Incorporated number zero. Your name. You interest me strangely. I accept your invitation. Batman Incorporated number zero. Batman Incorporated number zero by Grant Morrison, Chris Burnham, and Fraser Irving. Uh, the island of Dr. Mayhew. We see Batman on a, uh, I forgot what kind of plane that is, but it's a plane uh, flying away from the Black Club story, talking to the Knight and Squire. And who, um, who says, you know, if you need us again, we'll come running. Then we see both uh, the we see issue one of Batman Year One with the literal dialogue rec- recreated and Fraser Irving reillustrating David Mazzuchelli's, uh pencils, saying, "If I ring this bell, Alfred will come and stop the bleeding in time." Then the bat crashes and he says, "Yes, Father, I shall become a bat," and he rings the bell. Um, then we see Batman, uh, presumably years later, talking to. I don't know who, saying, uh, the first truth of Batman, the saving grace, I was never alone. This leads into Bruce Wayne, uh, Wayne Enterprises boardroom talking about, uh, Batman Inc. And, um, talking about how many Batman there are currently around the planet and then addressing, uh, Mr. Treadwell saying, you look uncomfortable, Mr. Treadwell. Is it because you're a criminal? And Lucius Fox pops in on nowhere saying, stay where you are, Mr. Treadwell. I'm afraid the evidence against you is overwhelming embezzling funds, accepting bribes, falsifying records. And then he transforms into Batman and Robin, who threaten to beat him up. So he's under arrest. Uh, from then on, we move very fast, seeing Bruce and Lucius look over some Batman Inc. tech. Um, we see Batman talking to Knight. Uh, I think he's essentially... This This moves so fast that I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the context of the conversations, but I believe that he's essentially reaff- reaffirming their allegiance to Batman Inc. Um... And essentially sending them on various missions, he sends Knight to talk to the excuse me. He sends Knight to talk to the Dark Ranger out in Australia. They get in a bit of a tussle at his uh, tattoo parlor, and then request that Batman wants him to work for Batman Inc. We then quickly cut to Russia, where we see the Russian Batman, uh, A.K.A. Reveal. Spoilers: He dies in Batman and Robin Number One, uh, going through the Arctic. In Russia, not the Arctic, but you know the the cold lands of Russia. Uh, he offers Batman Robin vodka. Batman says Robin's eleven, and I don't drink. And uh, 
Rival says, well, that's, that's a shame because I love drinking <laughs> vodka. It's sweet, sweet Anastasia. Um, so we, we see a scene uh, establishing that Night Runner is the, uh, the Batman of Paris still. We see Dark Ranger talk to not only uh, Night, but also uh, it, looks like, it seems like a hologram of Beryl, a.k.a. Squire. We see Raven and Man of Bats uh, essentially sticking with Batman Inc., this, this still goes very fast. We see uh, the Batman of Japan uh, chase after this Carnage slash Venom slash Spider-Man mm-hmm. character. Uh, Batman says, your three-month probationary period is up, Batman of Japan. How's it hanging? And he says, well, I fought a, a genius gorilla. I fought a giant caterpillar. And I fought Double Face. We all know who no. Double Face is, don't we? Um, <laughs> no, we don't. And then we cut to a scene with um, El, so- El Gacho. Who basically says that he's his own man, but then we see, I think, a scene from uh, Batman Age number four pre-Flashpoint where he fought Batman with uh, the electronic gauntlets and um, runs into the Outsiders with uh, Halo and Looker saying, so this is what they meant by Batman Incorporated. Ha! Maybe I misjudged Batman after all. Hey! We see Batman and Dark Ranger again take on some thugs as he convinces Dark Ranger to join Batman Inc. Saying, I hope you can, I can repay you, Batman. You'll get your chance. It all comes around. And the issue ends with Batman and Alfred basically being pleased at how Batman Inc. is going. It all comes around in the end. Indeed. The end. This, I don't think there's much to talk about with this issue uh, other than the fact that, like, characters... I think Dark Ranger is the only character that we've, that we've not seen as much of in, in recent history. Uh, do you... My basic question is this. This is sort of a main question. We might have more follow-up afterwards. But do you think this is a worthwhile issue, uh, not only for a zero issue, but for an issue in general? Because we're seeing previously established characters uh, be asked, "Are you still with Batman Inc?" Yeah, I'm still with Batman Inc. So, what do, what do you guys? What, do, what did you? What was your main? What did you mainly take away from this issue in terms of the plot? Basically, Batman going to his pals saying, are, "Are we still good?" My thing is, I don't think he was necessarily saying, "Are we still good?" I'm thinking. They, <clears throat> this takes place after their meeting with that reunion, the Club of Heroes reunion, and they were referenced that a couple times. And they say, you know, the last time we did this, uh, you know, one of us was killed, and, uh, you know, basically we never want to do the Club of Heroes again. And then Batman, I think, is more of more or less actually recruiting these people for Batman Incorporated and saying, listen, uh, I understand the Club of Heroes didn't really work out. Let's... Uh, Let's, you know, I, I want you to become, you know, part of this Batman Incorporated. And then in turn, they have access to all his resources, which they otherwise did not. So I think they were, ultimately he was basically saying, listen, the Club of Heroes was a good idea, but or the or the, you know, the but the, the reality or the Batman of all nations was a good idea. But it's just not feasible unless we bring together the resources, which I have. So let's start this new thing called Batman Incorporated. So I think. I think it was it was fine the way it, they went about doing it. I was glad to see all of the characters that he did, um, in fact, bring on board. Except they didn't they didn't focus on that Wingman character, which we don't know the identity of yet. But uh, nonetheless, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I also thought that it was good just because it kind of covered everything. I mean, I wasn't sure how many uh, Batman Inc. soldiers that have been killed in the Leviathan Strikes one shot, and then. We got to see things like why the Legionary, uh, the original French Batman, didn't join Batman Inc. and why Nightrunner was there instead because initially we just kind of 
I think it was in the Batman Detective Annuals a couple of years ago, they just said, oh yeah, this is going to be the French Batman. And there was no real explanation why it wasn't the Legionary. So it was good to see things like that. And the the Batman of all nations, you know, they're all there. All, all interacting with each other and then further links back, you know, throughout Morrison's one to the Black Glove, Glove storyline and just I think this would help, you know, for new readers if they've started to go back and read some of Morrison's stuff because, you know, you kind of need to, or it's definitely advised to understand this to its, like, full potential then they're going to be able to link that and then think, then, you know, link the characters together, so... I definitely think it was a, and I think especially as a zero issue, I think if it was um, this was one of the remaining twelve of Morrison's run, then I would have been a bit disappointed we didn't have more sort of progression. But I think it was definitely a good, you know, keeping things in check. This is what's happened so far, and leading to where it's going to go. Now, going from this, uh, this is sort of like a uh, because I really don't think that, that, that this issue was uh, much more than some of its parts. But because this issue was a very much a reestablishing of Batman Inc. and with the announcement that I think I believe it's Batman Inc. Twelve or is that right? Like he never actually title? said. He said he only had planned twelve issues. I don't know if this is included in the twelve issues or it, number twelve means he's gone. Um, that's also changed in the past because originally he was only supposed to do twelve issues of Batman and Robin, and that changed too. But I'm pretty positive he said he's leaving both Action and Inc. Uh, like he's le- like he's leaving the company. Like he's not writing anymore. I, for- I-, I-, I forgot which issue it was. I believe it's issue twelve. But uh, with that announcement, just just fell out there. Do you think that like I mean, because Batman Inc has become more of like you know Batman the Bat Family versus uh, Taya and her wacky schemes. And with this, do you think that the, the this this t- this title started off as you know basically literally being the Batman of all nations, be- people being Batman around the world. Uh, with this issue, I think that, like, they, they kind of reestablished that, but I think that, like, since the story has kind of gone off in Morrison's own mega storyline, uh, my, my question is, do you think that, that the title has changed? Is it still the same as it has been, or do you think that, like, a different story is being told, and, like, this is sort of, like, um, I don't know, more more of, like, the, more of them along the lines of Batman Inc. number one and two, where he was going across. Do you, do you think that, like, there's room... room and the main story for these kind of characters, or do you think that it's Batman Inc. has kind of taken a, a different, gone down a different road, where uh, this is sort of kind of almost I, alien to where it is now? Because that's how, how I would agree with that. I think that the the thing is, this is this feels a lot more like Batman Incorporated the first volume, and not so much like Batman Incorporated the current volume. The current volume really seems like it's the story of Bruce, Damien, and Talia. That's what the, the the current volume feels like. The other one was him actually recruiting the people, him setting up for, you know, Leviathan, to deal with Leviathan and all that. The issue is that, as as great as it is, I think Batman Incorporated, I mean, don't get me wrong, the second volume, I think the, the issues themselves are very good stories. The problem is it has, it really hasn't had a whole lot to do with actually Batman Incorporated. So we had the whole issue about Talia, we had the whole issue about uh, Talia trying to kill Damien. This last, uh, that we had this past issue with, uh, uh, as with Batman as Matches Malone. So the thing is, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as, as far as, 
you know, the direction that this is taking compared to before. I completely, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I liked, I wasn't sure how to jump in on the last point. Um, I, I, I didn't really read the first volume except for that bat, that Oracle one that you guys always um, rail on. So I sort of missed all of this, but I did get a lot of interactions like Knight and Squire came in Batgirl. So I did know of some of these, but I think that is really what the heart of Batman Inc. is, is that it's not just about Batman and Robin. It's the fact that there are like-minded heroes all over the world. And what if you are, and it, you know, not just as, excuse me, not Justice League International, but, you know, people that are modeling themselves after Batman. And what if you were able to get them all on a team together? And I think that was what the, the fun of this issue was, even though it's slightly confusing for me being sort of a new reader for this format because there are all these people, and I was like, who are these people? Some of them look familiar, but um, is that we got to see them again, and we got to see sort of what was the purpose behind Batman forming it and who these different people were. And, and I hope we do get back to Batman because I think that's what this was and I hope that after this Red Robin story is that what it's called? Red something Red that bird, we'll Red Bird Red Bird sorry about that Red Bird that we will get back to this I guess I agree to an extent that it's kind of lost its scale but it has its I think the scale's got so big that there's not as much room to focus on these kind of side characters I'm hoping that when the war kind of gets bigger that they'll uh, more will focus more on these side characters but I, th I agree at the moment it definitely seems to kind of be Bruce fighting Talia and trying to gain information but there's also a lot of seeing Leviathan scope and seeing how big they are I think we saw a lot of that in the last issue as well so I don't think it's completely um, like abandoned what it was like I just think it's it's moved on from it a bit uh, but I am still really enjoying this series. Uh, I, I am, t I am too. Like, like this, it's, it, it might be different, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's gone down in quality. Well, it's a variable in quality, but I don't, I don't think it's like bad that it's changed pace. I think, I actually think the stories that's being told right now is more interesting than Batman shopping the country, sh shopping the planet for people he can pretend to be Batman. All right, Batman Incorporated number zero. I give the book a total of four out of five batterings. I give it three out of five batterings. Um, I really the issue it got me excited for what's still to come and like I said I think it's a good kind of wrap up of everything that's happened so far even though uh, for people who haven't read the past stuff like Stella I don't think it really helped sum it up all that much but even with Fraser Irving who's not my favourite artist I still like him in some way so I'll give it 4 out of 5 back strings as well Quator X Quinquay, 4 out of 5 batterings. Alright, so Batman Incorporated number 0 gets a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our last issue, Nightwing number 0. I want you to stay away from Nightwing. <laughs> Mother birds usually know when to let their robins leave the nest. He's a big boy wonder now. A man wonder, in fact. I don't trust you, Selina. Of course you don't. That's why it never could have worked out between us. Is this a private party? Don't you men ever use the door. Don't mind him. He just wants to protect your honor. I don't need a chaperone. You don't know what she's capable of. She's been straight with me. Maybe you just never gave her the chance. If you don't trust me, Batman, trust him. I guess I have to.
written by Tom DeFalco, Kyle, and Kyle Higgins, art by Eddie Barrows. The issue starts off in Gotham City a few years ago, where we see Dick and Raymond, Raymond being the uh, friend of Dick from the circus, who was in the first story arc of Nightwing, uh, running on top of uh, a train, a moving train, and uh, they're using their skills as acrobats to kind of you know, dodge around the train as it's moving. They get stopped by a security guard who, um, in turn, um, Raymond actually hits, but the man actually falls in front of the moving train. Dick jumps out, saves the man, and uh, in turn gets to spend the night in prison, or gets to spend the night in jail. After his parents bail him out, his dad gives him a lecture about how he needs to do, he needs to be more responsible and uh, keep track of what he's doing. He can't just ignore things that uh, he might not want to deal with. Um, it's actually his mom's birthday, and uh, Dick gives his mom a bracelet that has two Robins on it. And his mom says, Robins, from my Robin, thank you. Um, but you're still grounded. Afterwards, uh, Dick leaves the trailer only to see... Uh, Mr. Haley accosted by Tony Zuko, who's informing him that he needs to have precautions. Um, later that night at the show, Bruce Wayne is sitting front and center, and the uh, trapeze ropes were cut, and his parents fall to their death. Um, as he stands there holding the uh, bracelet that he gave his mother, as it's covered in blood, Bruce Wayne actually approaches him, and uh, Dick Grayson actually looks and sees um, some specific ticks that uh, Bruce Wayne is doing. Um, after Bruce Wayne talks to Gordon, um, Bruce Wayne informs Gordon that he could uh, he could watch over Dick Grayson. As Bruce Wayne takes, as Dick Grayson is in the Wayne Care Center, he's being uh, uh, Bruce Wayne is talking to what appears to be a psychiatrist, and uh, the psychiatrist is explaining that he's he's doing well and he's starting to push through some of the the, the issues that he has. Um, but little do they know that he's actually researching his parents' murderer and uh, going out at night actually chasing after his parents' murderer. One night, he actually bumps into Batman, who's taking out a bunch of criminals. Um, Dick Grayson decides he's going to join the fight, and uh, him and Batman work together. Moments later, he sees Batman and notices some specific ticks on Batman, and in turn, puts uh, one and two together and figures out that Bruce Wayne is actually... Batman. Um, shortly thereafter, um, he does a search online of Bruce Wayne and finds out that his parents were in fact murdered. Um, later on, he decides he's going to still continue to go out and fight um, the criminals on the streets of Gotham City. Um, Batman actually joins in on the fight and keeps um, fighting alongside with him. Um, later on, um, Batman decides he's going to bring Dick to the Batcave and explains and shows shows off the Batcave to him, to which Dick then reveals that he is aware that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Uh, moments later, Alfred says this is probably a really bad idea. Uh, Batman says, well, no, I'm going to train him, and we see numerous pages of him being trained. Um, Dick actually is concerned at one point that he's moving on so fast away from his parents' murders and on the other hand, Batman, or on the other hand, Bruce has never really moved away from his parents' murder. He visits his parents' gravestones once a week. He has the clock that leads into the cave set to the time they died. So he's just trying to figure out if he's doing something wrong and because he's moving away from his parents' murders so fast. 
Alfred explains, no, it's just your way of dealing with it. Uh, one specific night, there's a, an assassin named Lady Shiva who is going after a councilman. And uh, as Robin sits at the computer dealing with all of like the Oracle-type situations, Batman is out in the field um, going after Lady Shiva, but it turns out councilman, the councilman is actually already dead. Uh, Shiva actually throws a spiked cross into Batman 2. Uh, Dick Grayson storms off, gets into a suit that he says he created from spare bat suits, and drives off on a motorcycle, only to come across Lady Shiva. As he fights against Lady Shiva, he dodges her uh, shurikens that Batman got one to his chest, but he's able to dodge them easily. Um, as he fights along, or as he fights Lady Shiva, Lady Shiva eventually leaves after uh, making a fool of Dick Grayson and says, "Batman, um, you've chose wise, but." Uh, you know, the, he's got plenty of potential, but I think ultimately uh, when you're ready to find more, you'll, you should come find me. Um, later on, we find out that uh, this was uh, just the beginning and eventually uh, Robin wouldn't be anything permanent. But after all, things always change. That is the end of Nightwing number zero. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about Nightwing number zero is... This is probably the, the least likely thing you would expect to talk about up front, but let's talk about Lady Shiva. Lady Shiva having the importance and the, the differences between Lady Shiva now and pre-New 52. Um, ultimately, I think the, you know, we read the, we read the interview with Tom DeFalco about the, uh, the crazy weapon that she has where it's her ponytail attached to a weapon. Honestly, I think it's extremely stupid. Looking at it on, on in the actual comic, it looks really dumb. I don't really understand the, the idea behind it. And to take Lady Shiva, who was more of a martial artist and less of a, I'm going to use a, I'm going to use this weird thing that's attached to my ponytail to, to swipe, you know, at people so I can cut them. To me, it just seems a little stupid. Didn't that happen in Birds of Prey though? She had that connected to her um, in Volume Three. So Gil Simone's run. With the re I thought you were referencing the TV show at first. Oh no, no, because she had a thing <laughs> when she was White Canary, if you recall. So that's not really new. Lady Shiva was White Canary. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. No, 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 no. She was Jay Canary. White Canary was someone else. <laughs> There's a car crashing behind you, Josh. <laughs> Lady, Lady Shiva was uh, was Jay Canary. Uh, White Canary was someone else. Yeah, and that yeah, was the one who like yeah, everyone's we were... like, oh, she's gonna be Cassandra Kane because they both yeah. have. Yeah. Don't mind me. I didn't. I don't. I, honestly, I don't. I don't have much to say about Shiva because mm -hmm. we didn't see much of Shiva here. The panels we see her in are. I mean, it's hard to even get a good look at her. Um, I think her presence here, uh, is actually. Kind of, I don't want to say it's. It's you know. I don't think they're actually you know taking anything from the Jason Todd or Tim Drake stories where she encountered both of them, but she does echo Little Bird, which she called oh. Tim a lot when she trained him. That's the one thing I noticed. Yeah, I just remembered. Yeah, she had sort of a well. There was a scandalous thing between her and Tim, wasn't there? Uh, not, not really. It was like you know, come on, Tim, t wake up. It's time for your training. And Tim was like, I'm not ready to have sex yet. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay. that's, that's basically what it was. Um, I yeah, the, just like Don said, you can't really um dissect it. I think because she's not in. I don't really like her design. Uh, looking at this now, yeah, it's not like the white canary, but it's like I don't know. It's like. Part of a dinosaur tail is on her head. Um, 
I don't like that she's sort of all armored up. I don't know if it's all armor, but just like completely clothed. And I just don't like the fact that um, she's got all of these accessories because the the Shiva that I know and and love hate is that I mean she can kill you with like her pinky, and so I don't think she needs all of this stuff. Yeah, I could see her wearing a mask because she's like very mysterious, but I'm hoping that they do right by her character. And I guess we'll. I don't, I don't know how uh, Dick is holding his own, to be honest, because Shiva should be, like, smashing him to the ground. He That's didn't really hold his own. He, he, came, he showed yeah. up, she beat the hell out of him, and then Just left because the, the issue called for her And then leave. she took some pearls. <laughs> Those pearls look good on you than they did on the mother. All right, so then the next thing we're going to talk about is, again, probably not as expected to talk about. So we're going to talk about the links to past issues and what the future holds for what we've seen here, like how this, some of the events that have played out in this issue are going to reflect on future issues, but also some of the effects that we've seen in the past. So the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that they specifically point out Raymond. So now Raymond is no longer just a flashback character that mm -hmm. Dick knew. Now he, you know, legitimately was part of the circus because of this issue, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think the whole Tony Zuko thing, honestly, the fact that they they say that Tony Zuko is this small-time guy and he basically approaches Haley as by himself wearing, like, what appears to be a construction overcoat and a ball cap, to me, just makes it seem like this guy's a nobody. He's just an enforcer for somebody else, but yet the entire thing is, is blamed on Tony Zuko. And the fact that we've seen so many references to Tony Zuko specifically because his daughter is appearing in the books now, it just seems as if, like, she says, she makes this big point, oh, I don't really want to be associated with all the horrible things my dad had to do with, okay, well, how many horrible things did he have to do with before this happened, since his face is plastered on the front page of the newspaper as soon as this happens, as he is the person who, is, in fact, was, you know, the person who murdered his parents. So how many things did he do before? Um, he couldn't have been doing that. He couldn't have been running that big of a protection racket because the protection racket isn't paying for him to have any better clothes than Joe Schmo walking down the road. So I, I just don't understand the idea of why they 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 basically may have made Tony Zuko into this. He's a mobster, and here he just looks like you know a low-level enforcer. I take your point, and I agree with you. I think that, like, a lot of this origin, at least the first part of it, to me, even down to, like, I don't think I texted you about you this, Dustin, that, like, down, even down to some of the dialogue is uh, taken straight from Robin's Reckoning from Batman the Animated Series. And if you remember in that one, even though he was wearing kind of a suit, Tony Zuko was sort of like a freelance uh, loan shark extortionist who really was, like, you know, by himself and in and over his own head as of what he was doing, as opposed to a legitimate gangster or the likes of Sal Maroney or Carmine Falcone. And um, I think that that's what they're going with. I, I think that's what they're going for because, like, you see that. It's, it's almost shot for shot like the cartoon where Dick sees him outside the tent hustling uh, or, you know, threatening Haley. Next thing you see, uh, the, the, the Graysons die. Then Gordon and, and Wayne talk about, like, like uh, you know, he's a material witness. Uh, I think I may be able to help. That's literally from the cartoon. So I think that, like, they took their cue of how to place Zuko. As someone with a bit of notoriety, he's not a, a heavy hitter mobster, but because of this crime, everyone in Gotham now knows who he is. Just because Do you think if he crime. is a small fry, um, 
that perhaps because this is a few years earlier, like he, he just grew into something bigger after this? Could that also be a potential? Well, I mean, the thing is, if he's sitting there wanted because of some something like this, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense where he'd be able to become a bigger mobster or gangster because he's he's basically wanted. Sal Maroney's not walking the streets with everyone saying, hey, we know you killed these people. I mean, like, it's like one of those, if you're going to be a gangster, you have other people do the stuff for you. You don't have a list of crimes where if the cops saw you walking down the street, they're going to be able to arrest you, which he clearly does after this situation. I, I don't really mind the whole Zuko thing. It's it's never... Zuko has never been as important as Joe Chill. He's basically been a means to an end, the way that the Graysons died. Like, people talk about, like, how dare, you know, Jack Jack Napier take the place of Joe Chill in the Batman 89 movie. I don't think that a lot of people are like, oh, no, how could they not use, you know, Tony Zuko in Batman Forever, dressed in neon for some reason, because it's Chill Schumacher. It's... I mean, Zuko, a big-time crook or a small-time crook, he's an extortionist, you know, and it doesn't matter if there's two men shaking Haley down, one man or an army of men. They were extorted and the Graysons died. I'm looking at the comic now, and Haley agrees to the extortion. He says, you know, what I'm saying is if you want to avoid accidents, Haley, you'll take the necessary precautions. Okay, okay, Tony. So, like, he he doesn't throw him out and says, get out of here like he always does in the previous comics. He says he agrees to it and the Graysons still die. And that's not naturally elaborated on. Like, what well, not only that? that, but I mean, you. H- here's my thought, okay? If they, because of all of the stuff that has happened in the the last twelve issues with Haley Circus ties to the Court of Owls, you would think the Court of Owls would have some sort of protection against these, you know, people like this when the circus comes to Gotham City. To me, it just seems a little odd that that the Court of Owls has no problem having a small time gangster approach the the basically the breeding ground for their talons and threatening to kill you know their potential talents to me that doesn't make a lot of sense like to me it just seems as if that was a missed opportunity to change that slightly because of the fact that the court of owls uses Haley circus to basically create their 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 future soldiers so i mean so the big thing is uh the last the last thing i've got is obviously the most most talked about thing which will probably take a little bit longer but the reality is this this origin is is slightly different um the the distinct okay his parents died tony zuko was involved in the death but then the actual aftermath of that um has has definitely changed so the the first thing that i want to bring up as far as the the origin changes and i'm I'm not going to bring up a ton of them i'll let some other people bring up some of them is the biggest thing for me is the fact that um, now, because computers exist in the modern world where these modern comics are being written, they have basically turned uh, Dick Grayson into what Tim Drake was in the 1980s and early 1990s, where he sits at the computer, he works with Batman from the computer while he's in training. Oh, but then also, by the way, uh, somehow Dick Grayson figured out exactly who Bruce Wayne and Batman were based off of facial tics. Is that not... Something that Tim Drake used to figure out what, my script. who Bruce Wayne and Batman was in the animated series. Well, um, no. Uh, in the animated series, it was like the comics were like, uh, okay, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get on this. I'm going to get on this later. But like, Batman is always traditionally going from the Golden Age. I don't think there's a story besides Batman Forever where he hasn't revealed his identity to Dick Grayson. And here, 
even though his parent his parents die on his mother's birthday, he's all wrapped up with that. You know, these were her bracelets. They, she was wearing them. He somehow takes the time to, to to pay attention to Bruce Wayne's facial tics. Like like, it's in, it's he's giving you the information that Dick Grayson is already like a detective, almost you know someone a master of body language, aka Cassandra Kane, and it's like that kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand why they made. Oh, let me just get into it now. I don't understand why they need to make the change because, uh, first of all, uh, and this 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 is connected. Dick Grayson. I don't think they ever mentioned that Dick Grayson's adopted by Bruce Wayne. He's in Wayne Foundation, you know, orphan care, but that doesn't mean anything. And like, he's still being trained by Batman, but like, at no point do they say he is the adopted ward of Bruce Wayne. Why? Because Bruce adopted Jason and Tim, but like, I, I, but second of all. Why does he do- adopt Dick if he has no intention of making him his partner? He questions Dick, what do you want to do with t- Tony Zuko? He might be leading to that. But, like, he has to wait for Dick Grayson to say, Booyah, you're Bruce Wayne. And it's like, it makes the entire thing, like all the other Robin stories, rushed and pointless because you're making him go along the lines of, of you know, bringing in Dick. But you don't give him, you're not giving Bruce the, uh, the thought process of, maybe I should take this guy as a partner to help him in the way that no one ever helped me like it always has been. So you're changing it, and you're not thinking of what the changes mean. Um, in terms of like the Tim Drake co- connection, like uh, I actually like the idea that he was at first it was like you know he was doing reconnaissance at the Batcave for the computer, and he was training along the way. What where I kind of stick up with this, hey, that's, that's right from Tim Drake's origin, is where uh, he saves him. He, he goes to fight him and save him from Shiva because the way Tim Drake earned the costume of Robin was that. Batman was trapped by the Scarecrow and hadn't figured out it was the Scarecrow yet, and Tim Drake rushed into action without sanction to save him from there. So I found similarities in that. The Tim Drake thing, it's its hard to do a modern psychic story without it following some of the Tim Drake tropes, because almost every single psychic story now has, like, the psychic ready to graduate, but the hero saying, I'm going to do this big battle, you stay here. And then the hero's in trouble, and the psychic's like, well, I might be ruining my chance, but I better go and save them. Like, I think that they did that with um, Cassandra Sandsmark back in the 90s. It's So the similarities are going to be there, and obviously because we're telling this in the computer age, you need to give Dick Grayson something to do as, like, an internship before he becomes Robin. So computers is the logical thing. I don't consider computers exclusive to Tim Drake, but when these, these things do add up, though, and they do kind of spell Tim Drake, but... Um, and there is a throwaway line where they say, like, that they worked out with the orphanage that Dick can have a part-time job at Wayne Manor. So he's basically Terry McGinnis. He's, like, going to Wayne Manor and telling people that, like, he's going to work there. There's nothing to say that he didn't get adopted by Bruce after the story ended or something or, like, years later. But that was just something to note. Like, it's entirely possible that uh, Bruce never adopted Dick, but nothing in writing that I wouldn't believe it. Uh, of the three... Yeah, but I think that they did the origin all right. Like, it's not my favorite interpretation of the origin, but it wasn't like they were just hitting the beats, like with the other two Robin origins, because Tim Drake's origin was more long and was more reliant on continuity. Jason's Todd was longer stories and involved the death. Dick Grayson's original origin was like, I don't know how many pages it was, but like eight pages in a Detective Comics issue. So most retellings of his origin tend to be, like, really simple because you just have to hit the circus beat and stuff like that. And they were able to slow down to do, like, some of the emotional stuff, like the scene where he talks to Alfred and, like, compares the way that he grieves his parents with the way Bruce grieves his parents. I think that, like, uh, to just kind of bounce off of that, I think what this issue needed to do more of and, like, where it kind of failed is that, like, they really need to 
draw more of a relationship between Bruce and, and, and Dick. Have they established a relationship between Bruce and any of his sidekicks at all since New 52 besides Damien? Because there's a book for that. But, like, it's always, like, this, this assumed thing where, like, you know, he's a tough taskmaster father figure. And, they, you know, they were training their partners. But, like... What I mean, and we know his feelings. Like, oh, oh, Jason was too reckless, and Dick was different than me. And like, but we don't see them like talking to each other. They're just, you know, like I'm Batman, you're you're the kid, you know, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you do what you're eventually going to do because of the continuity. Like, I think Dick should more talk to Bruce Wayne than he should talk to Alfred. And I know that like the typical story is that Bruce Wayne is an emotionally withdrawn person, but that doesn't really fly. After you look at the, the the history that the building that he has all these these sidekicks and care and uh, supporting characters, like I mean you can say that for a, a an issue, you can't say that to build up the history because after a while it's like you know they they, they wouldn't even be talking to each other if it, if it's like this if it's like this all the time, and whether or not Bruce and Dick train each other, they need more than just training to like establish the Batman, and that's another thing. This is supposed to be the original Batman and Robin team. This is the, one of the most iconic duos in comics, like Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. You need to give me more, than, I think, than just halfway Tim Drake's origin and halfway the, the animated series origin because I don't think that, like, there's an emotional core there that's, that's I think, is missing. I mean, I'm, this is one of the better Zero issues, but I think it's still incomplete because Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson don't... They, yeah, they have... Uh, for instance, okay... In the anime series, there's that scene where Bruce and Dick talk to each other before they even know, before Dick even knows he's Batman, where he's talking about his parents, you know, how he's dealing with it, you know, like, you know there's nothing we, we could have done, and they, they, they hug. That establishes a connection between the two, that this is missing because, yeah, they want vengeance, but they need to deal with the loss. And Dick talks about how Bruce deals with it, but they don't talk to each other about it. And I think that, like, that in addition to Batman not telling him who he is and Dick figuring it out is kind of what makes this hollow in the end, in the end of the day, in my opinion. All right. So Nightwing number zero, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batarangs. I really like the art though. Uh, thank you for his costume. Uh, I will give Nightwing number zero, two and a half out of five batarangs. Yeah. I actually thought, um, the writing was really strong in this issue. And I thought it was, I mean, it's great to have Eddie Burrows back. I actually thought that this is one of the better issues, uh, despite the content. So I'll give this four and a half out of five. Uh, sorry, I'll give this four out of five veterans. I think that this certainly was like the issue that people, I think, deserve more uh, on the Tim Drake side. Uh, just because, I mean, if Dean Titans was a betrayal for many people, I think that this would have been like the the type of origin story for him and I certainly saw a lot you know Josh already said about you know the tropes but I you know I recently read what's it called Nightfall or part of it since I just learned I was tricked um and you know Tim was always at the computer and and his one job was like to find um I think the Riddler and so yeah okay but 3.5 out of 5 batterings I read four issues in preparation for this, and three of them were Robin Origins. This was the best of the Robin Origins and the best of the four issues that I read. So on that scale, I'll give it four out of five batterings. The art was okay, and they didn't needlessly condense Dick Grayson's origin. While they made some changes that I did not like, it wasn't unnecessary, and it wasn't... It wasn't changes that didn't make sense, like, you know, the Witness Endangerment program or anything like that. So, this was the best of the books that I read this month. Alright, so Nightwing number zero gets a total of 
three and a half out of five betterings. That is all of our comic book reviews. Let's start with Jean with Bet Books for Beginners. Welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I am your host, John, and this episode we're reviewing Birds of Prey Manhunter. This was a four-part mini-series which was issued between September 1996 and December 1996. It cost $1.95 and reached 48th, 69th, 105th and 101st in the pre-orders chart, according to Comicron, for each issue. It was collected as a trade paperback, but is no longer published, but you can buy it in Birds of Prey, which is available on Amazon for $30, and collects a series of mini-series and one-shots featuring the Birds of Prey. It was written by Chuck Dixon, who is, as we know at this point, producing a ridiculous amount of work and features art by Matt Haley, who is most famous for drawing the art for Batman, Batgirl, Ghost and Superman Returns, and has various TV credits as well. So, is Birds of Prey Manhunter going to be any good? Let's find out as we delve into Birds of Prey Manhunter. We open with Black Canary breaking into a penthouse of an ex-lover, and it turns out... A villain. While she's breaking in, so is Huntress, who is climbing up the side of a building. The two are unaware of each other and take out all the goons. Oracle tells Black Canary that if she gets blood on her hands, she's leaving. The man she's trying to take down escapes in a sports car. Huntress arrives, ironic considering the conversation that Oracle's just had with Black Canary, and despite her warnings, Black Canary talks to her. We learned that Huntress had something with the man, and that's why she's turned up. Essentially, they started going out on dates, and after a month, she slept with him, and, surprise, surprise, he never called again. Black Canary then relates a similar story, but says that she never fell for him, and that it was nothing but fun. It turns out that they're both after him after spotting him on CCTV committing a crime, with both recognising him by his bum. Black Canary tells Huntress that she isn't the only woman who this villain 
unnamed at the moment, has messed about, and they decide to get revenge when Catwoman arrives. It turns out that Catwoman has been messed over by Braun, who is the villain that they're all after, as well. It turns out that he paid her to disable some alarms for $100,000, but he paid her in fake money, which is worthless. As they talk, the police arrive to investigate the disturbance. Despite reservation, Black Canary and Huntress escape with Catwoman in one of Braun's cars. They are pursued by the cops, which Huntress causes to crash by dropping an electric cable on them, but not killing them. Oracle berates Black Canary for getting in with Catwoman and Huntress, but, but Diana insists she knows what she's doing. Huntress finds a shipping invoice in the car for some computer parts which will arrive at an airport. Oracle offers to get the police, but Black Canary ditches the communicators, linking her to Oracle, and they head to the airport. They catch Braun as he heads to a plane, with Black Canary leaping onto his car. However, two of his henchmen take out Huntress and Catwoman wrecking the car that they were using, and Braun breaks suddenly, sending Black Canary flying into the plane that he was going to escape in, and they take off. Huntress and Catwoman take a taxi back into Gotham. They head to an abandoned apartment. Catwoman explains that she knows who Braun was working through, a man named Solomon Kaditz. They head to his house, and Catwoman interrogates him, but is stopped by Solomon's bodyguards. Huntress is also captured by bodyguards. However, there is an upside because Black Canary is able to make contact with Oracle. We learned that Braun is taking her somewhere where there are lots of pretty women. However, while Oracle can hear Black Canary, it transpires that Black Canary can't hear Oracle. Meanwhile, both Catwoman and Huntress are able to escape from Solomon's bodyguards, and Catwoman learns where Braun is heading. As this is happening, Oracle, with the help of Batman, is tracking Braun's plane, until it is swallowed by a bigger plane. Batman passes the mission to Oracle, and lets her deal with it, which shocks Oracle. Catwoman, it turns out, stole Black Canary's earrings, which were her communicators to Oracle, as we saw previously. It turns out that Braun has taken Black Canary to Kazakhstan, that well-known area of really pretty women, apparently, and a place called Katchik 99. Oracle learns this and gets in contact with Black Canary and Huntress. Catwoman makes a comment about the delay it took for Oracle to get back to her and that they have to wash their hair, and Oracle replies that she always thought Catwoman just licked herself clean. Anyway, Oracle tells them Black Canary, where Black Canary is, and they head to the area. Meanwhile, Black Canary is given a tour of the site, and discovers that Lady Sheba is also in the camp. Braun and Black Canary wander off, when they are confronted by some bloke who was promised cash by Braun for a slice of the Afghan drug market. But before they are killed, Sheba intervenes and spares their life. Braun shows he has superpowers, intercepting all of Lady Sheba's punches. We learn some unrelated backstory about his family being spies, and Braun hits on Black Canary, but she rejects him. Huntress and Catwoman turn up and break into a small room, which Braun and Sheba happen to enter at the same time, 
Catwoman fights Shiva whilst Huntress takes on Braun. Both are easily beaten until Black Canary arrives. Whilst Oracle teaches Huntress to stop Braun reading her mind and giving her the upper hand, Black Canary helps Catwoman take on Shiva. However, the roof collapses, trapping Braun due to a fire started by Catwoman. Huntress gets out just as it explodes, in the process rescuing Black Canary and Catwoman from Shiva. And the comic ends with the three of them riding off on horseback. So that was Birds of Prey Manhunter. That was terrible. It's an absolutely atrocious issue. This is Chuck Dixon at his real worst, showing a distinct lack of understanding of how to do characters. And it seems to be something that he really struggles with. He just can't do female characters and make them interesting unless it's Catwoman. The motivation for Black Canary and Huntress is ridiculous. Yeah, I get that there are men who are jerks out there, and a lot of women understandably get upset over that. But making it a major motivation for fighting crime? Really? You think that's what people do? They don't! Nobody does that. That's just, it's just sexist nonsense. Why are these people being chased just because... And then, to compound it even worse, he goes, Oh, well, the only way that they identified him was because of the guy's butt. No, no it's not. It can't possibly be because of somebody's backside. Nobody ever identifies anybody because of their backside, ever. They don't have criminal lineups where they make everybody turn around because the only bit that the victim can remember is the person's ass. No, it doesn't happen, ever. Unless he actually introduced himself walking backwards every single time with his butt stuck out. It's not a noticeable feature at all. And the idea that this is what women remember, all women remember men's backside. No, they don't. That's never what women notice. Ever. Otherwise, every single man would introduce himself, ask first. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And the, uh, the joke about the Catwoman joke from Oracle, the whole, oh, I just thought you licked yourself clean. That's not funny. Genuinely not funny at all. It bears no relation to the character. She's not an actual cat. It's not like she's Cheetah from Wonder Woman from the Wonder Woman series at all. She's displayed no cat-like abilities except for the ability to fall from great heights. That's it. It's not even funny. It's like going, oh, Batman. Really, you don't hang upside down, wrapped in your leathery wings, night? And poo all over the floor? Oh, I thought that was because you were a bat. That <laughs> it's oh it's just showing a distinct lack of understanding. And I get that he's trying to be funny and that probably somewhere somebody laughed. Ah it was just and the whole the now I don't want to be horrible about Kazakhstan. It's a lovely country and there's some nice stuff there. 
but it is not the place that I think of when he, they go, I'm going to take you a place where there's lots of pretty women. For that, I think, you know, east coast of America. Or the west coast of America. Or the Italian Riviera. Or the French Riviera. Or Dublin. Or anywhere but Eastern Europe pretty much, considering it spends most of its time in snow. And when they get there, what's even weirder is that they're completely covered up in snow, and then they don't even go anywhere where there are pretty women. It appears to be a few a place where criminals run to. And in the comic book world, most criminals are quite angry men. So why is he going there? I don't understand why he would go to Kazakhstan at all, ever. The, the writing is inconsistent at best and atrocious at worst. Pa things happen off panel that we don't see that are actually genuinely quite important. For example, between the bridging gap between the end of episode of issue 3 and the start of issue 4 has gone from them being on a bridge to them walking out of some kind of cave. Where did the cave come from? Why are they in the cave? Is there a cave? Is that, is that a bridge between the things? What, what the hell is... Why? Why did they go from a bridge overlooking a pit where Lady Shiva is killing them to a cave? Why did they do that? Why? Why? That's what I spent the entire of this issue, this mini-series going, which it was just, why? Why, why, why? There's more inconsistencies turned up when Lady Shiva rescues them from a group of drug gang lords. They disappear, apparently into thinner, don't even walk past Lady Shiva. And it was a, literally, there were only two ways in. There was the way that Lady Shiva came, and there was the cave that Black Canary and Brawn came out of. And that was it. Lady Shiva saves their life, and then nothing. We don't see where these people go, what they do. It's literally like they just disappear. It's... Ugh. The art wasn't great either. It wasn't that it was... There was cheesecake or anything that you expect but there was a hell of a lot of boob shots in there that pretty much were center frame and reading it it was pretty much there in your face which i felt was really unnecessary the shading was dicey at best um a lot of the time there seemed to be black pits and the holes that i'm pretty sure weren't supposed to be there including on their costumes there seem to be just bits where color disappears completely and it just made the entire thing look terrible overall i'd give this naught out of five batarangs it is that bad it's poorly written it's poorly drawn it's sexist it's just dross and I wouldn't even bother picking it up. There are many, many other better, better Birds of Prey stories out there. And I would pick those ones up first by a long shot rather than this 
nonsense. So now that that is out of my system, next episode we'll be reviewing Nightwing, the first eight issues from his series. So I'm looking forward to that, it should be really good. So now I'm going to hand you back over to Dustin and the guy. Thanks once again for listening. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. As far as what we'll be covering next time on the podcast, we'll be covering Batwing number 13, Detective Comics number 13, Batgirl number 13, Batman number 13, and Batman and Robin number 13. So five books next time. Um, but uh, also keep in mind that October is the month where we will start be we will be cutting some of the books from the second half of the month that have little to do with the actual Batman universe. So that, for now, is Red Hood and the Outlaws. We obviously will not be covering Teen Titans. Um, Talon will be giving a shot for a couple of issues, and uh, Birds of Prey will also be one of those issues, depending on how much it is actually involved in the Batman universe. So this is uh, our new format. We'd love to hear what your uh, thoughts are on this new format. Obviously, this is a much longer episode, but we do have nine books that we had to cover in this episode. So... Let us know what you think about the new format by heading over to the website and leaving comments in the comments section below the actual podcast or sending us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns. Be sure to check out the website, thebatmanuniverse.net, for all your news related to movies, movies, TV, merchandise, video game, general, and, of course, the comic book news. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news from the Batman universe. And, of course... As I said, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Always leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated as well. That's everything for this episode. I want to thank Josh for coming back for this episode. And you can look forward to Josh being on some of our specials coming up in the near future as well. So with that, uh, that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Joy. This is Donovan. And this is Stella. You got Josh. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Good night, my little monster. Of course. Oh, Stella, why? Punk rockers attack, and Batgirl stakes them easily. Hmm. I don't. I don't think I mean stakes. <laughs> Takes them probably. Okay. Uh, speaking of vodka, we see a, a thug with a mask being hit with a bottle of vodka. As we see the Night Runner tick on some thugs, and essentially uh, being the sole protector of Paris. After what's this character's name? I know his real name is Jean Marie. It's not. No, it's, it's uh, not the Cavalier. Rapier, isn't it? Or uh, uh, the Musketeer. Musketeer? Oh, that's screw it. It's too late. And I'm hoping it will return to it, but I'm still going. Uh oh, what was that? <laughs> 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 no, I'm pretty sure he probably pulled out his mic. 
Yeah. Is it still recording? <laughs> yes, it's still recording. I, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, that's not the... What the f***? <laughs> what the hell is that? Anyway, um, <laughs> it's getting late, obviously.